Good evening and welcome to the Champaign City Council meeting for February 20, February 18th, 2020. I ask you to join me for a moment of silence followed by the pledge. Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Foreman? Present. Gladney? Present. Kyles? Here. Pianfetti? Here. Stock? Here. Beck? Here. Bricks? Here. Bruno? Mayor Finan? Here. We've got Fireos and Polisos. Who's going first? Fire? Yeah. <laughs> good evening, Mayor, and good evening, Council. It's my privilege to um, present to you one of our members of our fire department who's recently promoted. And with that being said, it's my honor to introduce you to Andy Kornstrom. Andy Kornstrom has been on our department for 23 years. He has 25 years of emergency management service. Uh, he has an associate's degree in applied sciences and paramedicine is currently working on his bachelor's degree in business administration. He has uh, numerous uh, certificates with the fire department, but he also maintains his paramedic license and uh, is a big role player in keeping our EMS system up and running. He uh, lives here in Champaign with his wife, Erin, 16-year-old son, Patrick, and 14-year-old, Rory. And uh, he is a township supervisor for the city of Champaign Township, and he serves on the board of CASA and the United Way. And... Um, Certainly his involvement with the community and the department uh, leaves you not guessing as to why we're honoring him tonight with this promotion. Thank you. Thank you. I, Andy Kornstrom, having been appointed to the position of fire cap, excuse me, fire battalion chief in the city of Champaign and the county of Champaign, do hereby swear that I will perform the duties of fire battalion chief to the best of my abilities and that I will uphold the constitution of the United States or the constitution of the state of Illinois, pardon me, and the Constitution of the United States of America to the best of my abilities. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Please. Good evening, Mayor, Council. It is my pleasure to introduce two officers to you this evening. I would ask that we hold our applause to the end. And the first officer up is Officer Molly McElwee. Molly is originally from St. Joe, Illinois, graduating from St. Joe High School. Molly earned an associate's degree from Lakeland College, majoring in criminal justice, graduating summa cum laude, while at Lakeland, she also was a member of the softball team. She formerly was employed as a security officer with Carl Foundation Hospital, and Molly currently resides here in the city of Champaign. The Champaign Police Department looks forward to Molly serving with our agency. I, Molly McAwee, have been appointed to the Office of Police Officer in the city of Champaign and the county of Champaign. 
do solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Illinois, and that I will faithfully discharge the duties of the Office of Police Officer to the best of my ability. Congratulations. Thank you. And next up we have Officer Mason Madigan. Mason is originally from Lincoln, Illinois, graduating from Lincoln Community High School. Mason earned an associate's degree from Lincoln College, majoring in general studies. He transferred to Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, where he earned a bachelor's degree, majoring in criminal justice. He was formerly employed as a pro shop clerk at Lincoln Elks Country Club. Mason currently resides in Lincoln, but he's looking to re relocate to the Champaign area, and we welcome Mason to our department as well. I, Mason Madigan, having been appointed to the Office of Police Officer in the City of Champaign in the County of Champaign, do solemnly swear that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of Illinois, and that I will faithfully discharge the duties of the Office of Police Officer to the best of my ability. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Council Madam Stop. Mayor, I move that we approve the minutes from April 30th of 2000, oh, that's a long one, uh, 2019 Special Study Session, May 28, 2019 Regular Study Session, December 10th, 2019 Regular Study Session, January 7th, 2020 Regular Council Meeting, January 14th, 2020 Regular Study Session, and January 21st Regular Council Meeting. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Do we have any correspondence? No. We have no public hearings. Will the clerk please call the first bill? Council Bill Number 2020-013, a resolution approving an intergovernmental agreement with the University of Illinois for the installation of smart sensors on city-owned property. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve an agreement with the University of Illinois to install and utilize smart sensors on city-owned property for a 10-year period. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Beck. Um, I'm wondering what the, how, how this came to be, first of all, um, and how, what, what uses we envision this having. How it came to be, we've actually been talking with the U of I for several years about projects like this. Um, this was something they were wanting to do and looking for places to put these sensors. So really, it's, it's facilitating them with the project of theirs, but it could also benefit us. The data could help us with uh, traffic analysis, uh, air quality. Um, there are several different things that we could benefit from. We really don't know the answers to all those questions until we actually see some data from these sensors. So to follow up from that, so the university originally approached us a number of years ago regarding projects like this as a generality? Well, actually, I mean, we've been talking with them for several years about potential smart city projects. This, the sensors 
uh, came up within the last six months. And how, I mean, was this because it was a research project that was being conducted with multiple entities and they're looking for places to install these for research purposes and then we would subsequently benefit from that potential, potentially benefit from that? Is that? Essentially, yes. I mean, they're looking to do research with the data, but we also get access to this data so we could benefit from it as well. And how is the data actually, I mean, how is this data archived and how is it then labeled? I mean, essentially, I mean, are we, what kind of data are we looking at? I know I saw like climate data, there were sensors for traffic, things like that, but then there was also pedestrian data. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just wondering what else, you know, it actually archives. What kind of information? There's a lot to be collected. I mean, you just named a good portion of it. Air quality, uh, half a dozen different chemicals in the air, uh, but pedestrian uh, traffic counts, be it pedestrian and vehicle. But U of I is going to house the data. So when you ask how it's going to be housed or stored, I'm, that would be a U of I question. Okay, so we don't know about the anonymity of the data then? Well, the data is definitely anonymous. They don't identify individuals. There's no in, like facial recognition data no, none. or any um, individualized data that would like point to any individual person? Nope. Are there any cameras? There are cameras, but there, there's not facial recognition. The entire point of these is to be anonymous of the individuals, just to collect environmental data. So, but there would be video archived? Uh, yeah, I believe so. So would that video then be admissible for like court proceedings and things like that? That's a good question. Um, I suppose if a, a scenario came up that would test that, that's certainly not the intent of these, mm-hmm. but there is video collected as part of this for traffic counts, pedestrian counts. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Anybody else have technical questions? Councilmember Stock. Mark, do you happen to know, are there already cameras in some of these locations where they're putting cameras for traffic counts? In other words, I know uh, there, there's a lot of cameras on campus. There anyway. may be, to be honest. Uh, on campus, probably more likely than on ours, but we have some ca- cameras on on traffic poles that are simply looking at the traffic. I, to be honest, I don't know at these individual intersections. Anybody else? Councilmember Pianfatti. I, I had two questions. Um, it's my understanding that the city is paying the expense of the electricity. Do we have a sense of what that would be? It should be minimal. These don't use much. I mean, I doubt it'll be significantly more than the poles already used they're being mounted on. And then um, we're talking a lot about the cameras, but um, as I was going through this and reading it, it, it seemed like there were more sensors in terms of what they wanted to do with the project. I guess I'm trying to figure out where the cameras kind of fit in. I, I, I don't know if we're misleading. Like, that, Well, I know this was, uh, the project was implemented in Chicago. It's been up there several years now, and they have a few hundred of these out. Mm-hmm. And the point of these has never been to um, to spy on anyone, to identify individuals. It's to, for environmental factors, I mean, the majority of the sensors collect information about air quality, temperature, uh, barometric pressure, humidity, uh, sound, vibrations, but there are cameras. That's the only way to gather traffic counts. 
Anyone else? I have a question actually for Deputy City Manager Rushley. Um, just by way of kind of reference, I remember that we had a joint application for a smart city grant. And, you know, I, you know, looking back at trying to partner with the university on smart cities information, can you kind of remind us what that history is? Yeah, so uh, this goes back, I believe the, uh, the original effort was with um, uh, a group at the university, Dr. Clara Narstedt, I believe, uh, was kind of the point person on that project. Um, there was a grant application, I believe, in late 2016, um, and then uh, essentially those f- those funds uh, disappeared in, in uh, early 2017, and we were informed that the, the grant was no longer available. But the specifics of that would have been uh, some sensing equipment that uh, would have been piloted in areas around uh, transportation uh, locations, so bus stops uh, and uh, areas where there's heavier pedestrian traffic in a couple of specific neighborhoods. One of them proposed originally would have been in the Bristol, uh, the new Bristol development, uh, potentially in a bus stop there. So this is, this is similar to things that we've, we've talked about and attempted to partner with the university on previously. Do you recall, because I know you were part of putting together the grant application, do you recall anything about data storage or anonymity and how we were planning to handle that at that time? It was all very preliminary at that point. And I apologize. I I know it was years ago. Going back a couple years, but as I recall, uh, the data storage and the the data itself would have been um, the university's responsibility uh, certainly, any sharing of that information, I think, would have been subject to uh, policies that we would have to put in place to secure how it's used and specify those things. So um, that could be a, a possibility here as well. Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue, please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and limit your comments to five minutes or less. And I apologize, I moved the mic around when we did the police, so feel free to, Thank you, you Mayor might need and to Council. turn the whole, there you go. Thank <laughs> you, Mayor and Council. Um, I'm Richard Sowers. I'm a professor at the University of Illinois, and some of this uh, was, um, my, I was part of the, the effort to, to get this going. Um, the data is housed in a public server. Um, all the anonymous data is housed in a public server. Anyone can access it. Uh, the actual cameras, there is a privacy uh, policy in place. So, and this has been reviewed by the University of Chicago, where this has started, and a number of other entities. These uh, sensors are currently at Chicago, Palo Alto, Seattle, Portland, Denver, Chapel Hill, and Syracuse. Um, and it senses, as Mark said, temperature, barometric pressure, light, vibration, carbon monoxide, nitrogen dioxide, sulfur dioxide, ozone, ambient sound pressure, pedestrian and vehicle traffic, solar light intensity, and cloud cover. The goal of this is to uh, give a lot of information so that uh, a number of stakeholders in, in, in the city um, can more smartly do things. Um, it has received, uh, we've gotten a number of uh, units, uh, generous support from a number of sources for this. And um, if you really want more information, the website is just go to Google and search for Array of Things. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address Council on this issue? 
Please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and limit your comments to five minutes or less. Hello, my name is Benjamin Beaupre. I live in the city of Champaign. I'm a citizen representative on the Champaign County Reentry Council, but today I'm just speaking on my own behalf. Um, I have no doubt to distrust the good intentions of the council members, uh, professors, and scientists working on this project, um, but I think there are some reasonable concerns um, uh, on this topic, it's hard uh, not to end up sounding paranoid, uh, but I'm going to try my best. Um, most of the sensors on this seem innocuous and could be really helpful, and I support it. But uh, the added issue with the cameras, uh, basically installing surveillance equipment that says it's not going to be used for that purpose, uh, matching it up with machine learning, going through the materials and the promises. There's so many promises here that it's going to be anonymized, that the data is going to be deleted if it you know, identifies individuals. It's going to be stored in a way that you know, it doesn't address all this promise after promise after promise of how it's going to be stored and protect our privacy. Uh, but then later in the contract that you guys have in front of you, it says that, you know, even if it does end up hurting somebody, even if it ends up getting someone killed, the city is responsible for protecting them from legal liability. And, well, that doesn't give them very much motivation to protect our data from not just their own use for something, you know, down the line by somebody who takes over the project, but malicious hackers domestically. Uh, foreign intelligence has been invading our infrastructure if you, you know, still believe our intelligence services, uh, I mean, with ideologies now, flip a coin on that, I guess. Um, at this point, we'd have to trust the, the Argonne National Laboratory, which I would uh, with the scientists there, but that's under the Department of Energy, and that's under the now unitary executive. So whatever that means now, uh, again, flip a coin on your ideology, if that's good, bad, or both, I don't know. Um, right now, in the current climate that we're dealing with domestically, there's not a lot of trust. So I would strongly recommend delaying this to make sure that the data being sent out from these units, you know, we tell our kids anything you put out there on the Internet is out there forever. So, you know, as much as they promise to anonymize it and, you know, get rid of any individual identifiers, either they or somebody else could end up using this in a bad way. It always happens. I mean, right now all our data is subject to not just people trying to monetize it, but, you know, bad actors and politicians, you know, at the highest levels are using our data against us. So I'd, I'd want to see a lot more research into exactly how we're going to be protected, make sure none of that data is going out, at least get rid of the cameras parts. The, all the other you know, innocuous sensors are probably fine. But you know, when you have uh, places like Xinjiang, China, with you know, similar setups with surveillance equipment and machine learning being used to identify you know, enemies of the people, to identify people who are deemed a threat, you know, foreign invaders, you know, the vile, the evil, the undesirables, 
you know, which they can do because they have a unitary executive who can abuse power for his own political gain without restrictions. And if you're going to tell vulnerable communities here in this town that that won't happen here, that it can't happen here, that's not a good enough reason not to wait and do better on this. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address this issue? Council comment. Anybody? Council member Beck. So I think, you know, clearly from my questions, I do have some concerns about this project. I don't know that um, all my questions have been fully answered. I guess that I, I would like for us to take some more uh, opportunity to look at what the legal ramifications of this would be for our city. I don't know that this the, the agreement itself actually parses all that out. Um, you know, I also, if it is use, being used for research purposes, then I, I, you know, I don't see, maybe I'm missing it, I don't see the corresponding information that would be required from um, boards in, at, this, at, the, at the university, research board at the university, so that you know, we can see that what that looks like and what the research board is look, you know, considering as far as anonymity and what they are looking at as far as um, safeties. And so if that's the case, I'd like to see what they've approved. Um, because I think that we're, we're opening ourselves up to potential, um, potential obstacles or potential, you know, problems for us. I, I, I recognize that we do have cameras in different places. I recognize that that already exists, but, um, I also recognize that those cameras aren't owned by the University of Illinois, <laughs> and, and then the data is not stored at the University of Illinois and that the data is controlled by different sources. So I guess that's really where my problem lies, um, is that we don't, as an entity, we don't even have control over what is happening with that data. So uh, I would like for us to take a better look at that. So I'm going to be voting no on this today. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it coming back to us with more information, but I will be voting no today. Anyone else? Councilmember Stock. I like the idea. I think it's kind of cool, and I think that it's a good, it's a good partnership. Uh, the report mentions that privacy protection is built into the design. I guess I would like, I would feel, I'm kind of with Councilmember Beck on this, I would feel a little bit more comfortable if we kind of knew a little bit more about what that privacy protection is, if that makes sense. And if you have anything else to add earlier that you thought, you know, if, if there's anything else you can think of, just to kind of maybe just explain that a little bit more in terms of how that privacy is being protected. And I just, um, do you want to respond to that, Mark? Do you know? Specifically, no, but I, I, the intent of these is, is not to, to um, violate individuals' privacy. I mean, it was written into the, the use policy that I believe the university had to agree to just in order to be able to get these things. Uh, technically, how that's protected, I don't know if I could explain that to you exactly, hardware-wise, but I can guarantee that there's no intent here uh, to do anything along those lines other than collect environmental information. So I'm just going to throw out a suggestion mm -hmm. rather, rather than, I don't know if we're going to vote it down, but could we move to defer or move it to a study session where we would have the opportunity to gather more information 
um, and answer some of these questions. I also am I'm looking at you, Mark, because I don't know timing-wise. Does is the university have you know some deadline with respect to the grant where they need to know quickly? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, um, and I don't mean to cut off other discussion. If there are other people who want to, Councilmember Pianfetti. Yeah, um, I, I would like to see this um, deferred or something because I, I guess. I'm just confused at this point because the nature of where I thought this research was going was different. And, um, you know, I, I don't see the university. I, I feel like they would have vetted all these issues on some level prior to it getting here and asking for a partnership with the city. And I would like to somehow um, not have this go down if it might go down and not have a chance to have a conversation if we need to have a conversation um, because I, I, I'm concerned that people are, are looking at this and being concerned about the cameras, which could be a legitimate concern, but if there is any place where we can be looking at issues of what do we do with privacy and how do we build trust and how do we um, look at these issues. We, we here at the University of Illinois should be spearheading those efforts. In addition to looking at traffic flow and climate and everything else that we can have these other conversations surrounding that. So I, I would hate to be the city that says no when we have scholars and experts here that can help build a conversation around it because we're concerned about the cameras when when that is looking at traffic flow and um, so so that's a, that is more alarming to me than anything else right now and um, I feel that there's more to this and that the university, the, the screening process for research proposals, I mean, this probably, you can attest to this, like it had to be vetted to such a degree that it would not have gotten here if they were concerned that there, um, there would have been privacy issues at this point. So um, I would either like to, I don't know what we would have to do to defer it, I, but I don't want to kick it down the road six months or three months, like I, I would like to expedite the conversation. Councilmember Bricks. I would also like to defer. <laughs> I, in just reading over the information, I was focused mainly on the censored things and kind of the things it would do. And quite frankly, I didn't think about the privacy thing. So I'm glad you brought that information up. And I'm glad um, that we had members of the audience that brought that up as well. And so I don't think it, if there's no deadline, I don't think it hurts just to double check and make sure that the privacy piece is covered and what's been done we're aware of so that we can feel good moving forward. Anyone else? I, I would just, I would comment that, you know, with our cameras on campus where we allow U of I to have cameras on uh, city-owned property, we actually worked with the ACLU to come to an agreement with respect to 
how that information is used and stored. And it seems to me if this, if we are going to have that kind of data, just making sure that we've done similar kinds of things makes sense. It sounds like it probably has already happened. It's just that our packet doesn't provide that information. So I don't know if it's just deferring it so we can get that information or if it's deferring it to a study session to have a a discussion where the public would have the opportunity to really hear that information as well. I would be okay with just deferring it so that I can have the information. Yeah, yeah so I don't I, I don't think we need to go to a study. At least I personally okay. don't feel the need to go to a study session. It can come back and at the next regular council meeting for me. I just would feel more comfortable if we had answers to just some of those privacy So I'm going to ask the city attorney, do we need to table it, or can we do a motion to defer to our next regular meeting? Well, we don't have a motion to defer, but we have a motion to postpone. Okay. And if you postpone it to a date certain, then it'll come back at that date certain. All right. Deputy so city manager, what's our next regular council meeting as I'm about to look at my phone? Seven days from today. No, not regular council meeting. Oh, Next yeah. regular meeting, I believe, is March 3rd. Okay. Yeah. So, bearing that in mind, I move that we postpone this bill until March 3rd, at which point we can get more information. Second. Any discussion on the motion to postpone? All the, or I guess, clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Foreman? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Fianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Brooks? Yes. Mayor Finan. Yes. Uh, motion to postpone passes 8 to 0. Will the clerk please call the next bill? <coughs> Council Bill number 2020-014, a resolution repealing Council Bill 99-74 and adopting a revised council policy regarding the process and criteria for city support of low-income housing tax credit projects and codifying such policy. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to approve a revision to the council policy regarding the process and criteria for city support of low-income tax credit housing projects. The revision would eliminate the requirement for a planned, planned development approval in order to obtain a city letter of support. It would also further clarify the process and criteria for obtaining other city letters pertaining to low-income housing tax credit applications to the Illinois Housing Development Authority. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. If you wish to speak to it, you need to come up, please. Thank you. Please state your name and city of residence and limit your comments to five minutes or less. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Madam Mayor, uh, City Council, my name is Barry Accountus. I reside in Pataskala, Ohio. I'm here today on behalf of Woda Cooper Companies. We are a developer of workforce and affordable housing. We are headquarters in Columbus. We are uh, in, in about 15 states. We have about 300 communities, all of them affordable. We have about 13,000 apartments within our portfolio. Um, engaging here with, with the city staff regarding some things we'd like to try, we came across your policy of the, what's on the table tonight. And just want to give you three brief comments. Um, we believe, in, and as the mayor just read, uh, it affords the staff, your staff, the ability uh, 
to consider such requests within a, a, a very defined process that they can execute those duties. Um, it encourages developers um, of affordable housing to approach the planning department right up front to walk in step with your zoning code, the comprehensive plan, and, and really the, the fabric of the community. Um, and it, it also it, it promotes a proactive solution to removing some barriers of affordable housing. And I use the, the phrase affordable housing. We're able to do the affordable housing through the sale of low-income housing tax credits. And we, we, we make that equity. We have a private mortgage, and residents pay a, a pretty good rent. So we support, we support the resolution, and we'd love to see it passed. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Foreman? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes 8 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-15, an ordinance amending section 37-359.7 of the Champaign Municipal Code 1985 as amended. Second. The purpose of this council bill is to amend the zoning ordinance to reduce the required automobile parking space for indoor movie theaters from one space per five to one space per six. This text amendment was initiated by the ZBA. Are there any technical questions? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comments? I, I guess I would, my comment is just simply I would like to see more uh, to look at all of our parking regulations and um, I, I was going to say reduction reduction in the requirements of parking spaces um, and I actually don't think this really goes far enough because it seems to me it ought to be market driven and that the community would be better off if we did significantly more uh, had more regulation like we have on campus where we let um, the developers decide what is appropriate for their project and they make a financial decision about whether it is a walkable, bikeable, busable project versus one that is car-centric. Um, and as we try to move away from being car-centric, requiring even one space per six seats still seems like an awful lot of parking. I will support this because it's actually doing what I'd like, but I'm not sure it goes far enough. So with that, will the clerk please call the roll? Councilmember Foreman? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Pianfetti? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council bill passes 8 to 0. Please call the next bill. Council bill number 2020-016, a resolution approving a cost share agreement with Core Champagne Daniel LLC for the construction of a sanitary sewer extension and streetscape improvements for the redevelopment of property at Six and Daniel. Second. Oops, sorry, I already flipped my page. 
The purpose of this council bill is to approve a cost share agreement with Cord Champagne Daniel LLC for the construction of a new sanitary sewer running along 6th Street to serve a development at the northeast corner of 6th and Green, a curb bump out at the northwest corner of 6th and Daniel, and approximately 1,100 square feet of streetscape on the 6th Street in the total not to exceed $552,861. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Bricks. I'm just curious. We just talked about this. It seems that, like not that long ago about the development at 6th and Green. And at that particular time, we were talking about the capacity issues um, for the sewer line. And so it talked about that if we were to approve that, that it would potentially help with additional development. So we approved that, and then not even a year later, with something from the very same development, with the same developer, within the same um, sort of location, then comes back and now we're at 362 for the sewer-related stuff. And so I'm get, why wasn't this addressed the first time and why wasn't the first um, improvement that we, we made significant enough to address this? Well, the, the first uh, project extended the sewer from a, an interceptor that's uh, at Helion 6th down to the corner of 6th and Green. Uh, it did have additional capacity to serve additional development. That's why it can now be extended to serve this project. But uh, it has to be extended further south. It's not, uh, it doesn't go all the way down to 6th and Daniel at this point in time. Okay. Uh, so at the time, uh, and if you'll recall, we had a study session uh, back before we even brought that uh, project to you and discussed that <clears throat> until we could come up with a a more comprehensive solution to sanitary sewer capacity issues in the university district that on a case-by-case -case basis we'd need to look at the potential of, of doing this kind of a, an agreement in order to accommodate uh, development. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, that's kind of where we're at right now and, and uh, that's why this development is being brought to you. We also, for the sixth and green project, uh, we're reimbursing 100% of the cost of the sewer, less carrying costs. In this case, we're reimbursing 75% less carrying costs. So we're reflecting more of the developer share in, in this project as well. And so when we do developments, and I know that when you build in town versus building on the outskirts that there's a lot of different requirements, but what are the basic infrastructure requirements for developers when they're developing on the outskirts versus in town? Well, <clears throat> typically when they're doing a greenfield development on the outskirts of town, it's a, uh, it's a new subdivision uh, and all new infrastructure is being constructed. And it's the developer's responsibility to, to build that infrastructure. This is, of course, infrastructure that's been in place for years but uh, has, at this point in time, capacity issues. And so... Uh, we're looking at projects that historically have been permitted by building permit only, uh, which doesn't require the construction of additional infrastructure other than streetscape. We have amended the code to require that uh, if streetscape needs to be built, that, that it has to be built even uh, by a building permit only. Uh, we did that because of a couple of projects where, uh, where 
the sidewalk wasn't in good condition or didn't exist and a building permit uh, didn't require uh, that infrastructure to be built. But that's the only infrastructure that's tied to a building permit at this point. Okay. And then um, have we ever encountered similar situations before? And so I'm thinking, you know, we have older infrastructure potentially in the older parts of town just off of downtown. And so we have a new hotel that's building there. We'll have new development across the street from Westside Park. So is this something we're going to continue to run into, and should we be looking at infrastructure and where we've got our hugest issues and how we're going to address those moving forward? So uh, Dennis may want to add to this, but uh, uh, the answer to that is yes. We are, on a first of all, on a case-by-case basis, we're looking at these. So uh, anytime uh, our policy right now is anytime a project uh, expands or increases the population equivalent uh, by over 100, we're evaluating the sanitary sewers to see whether there's capacity issues. In the downtown area, we, uh, uh, it's driven by the, uh, the, uh, the yards project, but the, the sanitary, excuse me, the sanitary sewer that's being built uh, to accommodate that project is also necessary just to add capacity to downtown and let downtown redevelopment continue. I think this will continue as we have more infill development, as we increase densities in our core area, uh, it's going to be an issue that we're going to have to address and we're going to have to determine the best way to address that going forward. Uh, and, um, you know, part of our challenge is that, that uh, a lot of that development has already taken place. Using up the capacity, you know, we can start charging the, the last developers in, but, uh, but there's some equity issues with that as well that, that we talked about in the study session last time this came up. Okay, and then, so then has anybody else had this similar issues other than just Campus Town, and how were they addressed? We've had some other occasions where short stretches of, of sewer, and if they're relatively short and not, you know, a massive project that's also gonna serve additional properties, then we've just required the developer to do that. But, but those are sewers that are single purpose in nature and so that they don't have larger public benefit. And then I just have one more and I swear, I turned it over to everybody else. Um, so you talked about the total cost of doing, I'm assuming it's a complete overhaul of the sewer line or, or putting in a bigger sewer line is 10 to 12 million. The, it's, it's uh, lift stations and a number of sewer lines, and I don't know, I'll, I'll uh, defer to Dennis on the more technical questions. Well, and so then we're going to just keep doing this 350000 at a time, or what are we going to do? Um, well, first of all, uh, to answer your question, uh, this, uh, obviously the one that uh, Bruce referred to, the extension of the uh, sewer from the uh, Healy Street Interceptor up to the development at uh, uh, 6th and Green was not the first one. Uh, I want to say uh, when Marquette School was uh, redeveloped, I think that's the school, I've got that right, there was a large uh, development put there. And uh, again, we took a look at those, uh, the capacity of the sanitary sewer there and an extension was made. And uh, that's what's helped us establish this rule, uh, Bruce referred to it in the report to council of 100 PE. Anything over 100 PE, we're looking at this. And what we have to do is we have to reach back to the interceptor uh, you know, to pick up the capacity with an extension. This particular sewer that's now being, uh, that's part of the uh, matter that's being considered by council tonight, 
we anticipated, we knew this development was coming. We probably didn't know necessarily the particulars, how many floors, uh, that, that, that went higher and lower over time, but we knew it was going to exceed the 100 PE. And so the capacity of the sewer that was built summer, uh, last summer, anticipated this uh, particular project, and that's the reason why we, we ended it with the manhole and it's now being extended. Same thing, we will, we'll, we'll take a look at other developments and uh, uh, in, in a piecemeal fashion, as Bruce has indicated, is, uh, is what the overall plan showed, the best thing to do. Uh, we don't want to be uh, putting in a lot of infrastructure that's not going to be necessary or guess in the wrong location as well. But the point, point of the matter here is, is the sanitary sewer system in the campus area is uh, at capacity, the lateral sewer system, and we need to address that. Uh, uh, the last thing we'd want to do is, uh, is allow these developments to take place under capacity sewers in the area get put on restricted status. That's not a good thing at all. We've had that situation occur here uh, many, many decades ago, and once that uh, restricted status gets placed, it's very, very difficult to get off. Yeah, we and, also don't want it to cause development to freeze entirely right. uh, in the university district. There's a lot of high-value development that's mm -hmm. taking place in that area. And so we've been proactive looking at the sewer system and uh, uh, trying to determine what's the best approach to this. And I think, I think the manner in which we're addressing these things is exactly the best way than spending $10, $12 million trying to guess where the development's going to take place. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you. Anyone else? Councilmember Beck. Um, I'm just looking at the third bullet point, the sixth and Daniel development proposal, and underneath that it says, this agreement differs from the sixth and green cost-sharing agreement in that the developer is also requesting reimbursement for two other infrastructure improvements that have been requested by the University of Illinois for this project. Am I understanding it correctly that these are pedestrian control, um, pedestrian safety and control uh, mechanisms that they're requesting, that the university has requested? So they're... they're uh Pedestrian enhancements, I'll mm -hmm. say. Pedestrian uh, safety in the case of the bump out on the uh, northwest corner of 6th and Daniel. Uh, and, uh, and then the short stretch of uh, streetscape from where MCOR left off to where the developer is required to build this streetscape uh, is the other piece. And uh, in, in both those cases, in the, in the piece of streetscape, uh, there's um, a little bit of uh, an economy of scale issue there as well in that if we want to come back later and build this short piece of streetscape, it's going to be uh, a, a rather uneconomical project because it's, it's relatively small in scale. Uh, and otherwise, we leave an older piece of streetscape uh, between two new pieces of streetscape that, that uh, have been built very recently. So... Um, it's, a, it's a combination of, of uh, a desire to get a complete uh, improvement to that block so that it's essentially done. Mm -hmm. So I guess my, my follow-up question for that is, how did this, come, how did this request come about then um, from the university? Well, it's, you know, it's from the university in the sense that, that they've wanted – Daniel Street improved for a long time. Um, they are actually partners in the development project. It's a, it's a public-private partnership uh, between the university and the developer. <clears throat> and the development is required to build uh, the, you know, the uh, frontage all along Daniel and all along 6th. Uh, they, they were um, hopeful that 
they could get, actually they, they asked if whether the full intersection, all the four bump outs could have been built. Uh, we weren't prepared to do that at this time. We thought that that uh, that would require a complete reconstruction of the intersection. It was more than, than certainly we were prepared to, to, to contribute to the project. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so the compromise was to do the one bump out in the short stretch of streetscape. So I don't mean to be, but essentially the university is in a public-private partnership to build this that then they're asking us to help foot the bill for this piece that they want done. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that uh, it is uh, probably their position that, that it benefits uh, our street, because that is our, our public right-of-way. It's not their public right-of-way. There are streets in the university district that are owned by the university. In this case, this is, this is our street, and that this is an advantageous way to get this done. Uh, uh, from the new revenue created by a project that they're participating in. Mm -hmm. And was there any discussion about the university paying for that instead? Yeah, they're, they're involved in the project, and that's, that's where their focus is. Okay, thank you. <coughs> so anyone else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue? Council comment? Clerk, please call the roll. Oh, Councilmember Stock. I'm troubled by this only from the standpoint of I have more people come to complain about me to complain to me about another high rise on campus, another high rise on campus, and the complete and utter destruction of any character on campus. And I've my my answer has always been I understand that, but we don't pay for it if they're media building codes and so forth, except in this one where we kind of are. So I'm, I'm just I'm just a little bit troubled from the standpoint of the constant high-rises and the constant high-rises, and I, I don't necessarily see the need, and I don't necessarily see why we need to throw tax dollars at it necessarily, but having said that, I see the physical need for the infrastructure, but do we have, do we, uh, back to technical questions, I guess, but do we have a sense that there's another one coming up down the pike? I mean, I feel like 13 months ago when we had this conversation, this one was already in the pike, and I feel like we in the pipe, and we probably already knew that. We didn't know that, but I feel like somebody over there knew that. So is there another one that we're going to be six months from now having this exact same conversation? Or I, I, I guess I would feel better if we had some sort of policy so that we actually had a policy so that we actually followed it as this case-by-case case works in the short term. But in the long term, I don't think it's necessarily good business, and I'm still, I don't know, I, the, the old historic preservationist in me is still concerned about using terms like, you know, that are in poor condition when they're packed on the Daniel Street had lots of people go there for, you know, it makes it sound like they're living in the slums over in the middle of campus. And that just wasn't the case. Um, so I'm, I'm a little concerned about the direction, but I'm probably the only one. But nonetheless, I felt like I should say it. Councilmember Beck. So I wanted to say that I'm glad to see that this, the cost sharing has uh, increased on the developer side, that 25% 25, 25 of the cost share has gone to the developer. And I know that that's something that we discussed and that we had said as a council that we had hoped that would happen. I'm hoping that we can continue to push that from 25% to more. And I'm sure that everybody uh, would be happy to spend fewer city dollars on those kinds of improvements, but uh, of course we see that that's also a necessity that we have to share some of that cost um, to, to uh, develop our, our, um, our own sewer system. So uh, the thing that troubles me is, and this isn't going to uh, stop me from voting yes on this because I think that the sewer improvements are more 
more important to me, but I don't want to not make the point that it, it troubles me that this is a, a public-private partnership for the University of Illinois, and they want to nickel and dime it to the point that they're going to ask us to pay for $105,000 of street improvements. That, that to me, that I just don't, I don't understand why that would be, and I find that troublesome, and I feel like it, 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 it's just asking for one thing that they didn't need to ask for from us um, when we're, we're improving the sewer system to begin with. So I, I have a problem with that, but it's, like I said, it's not going to stop me from, from voting yes on it. Um, so but I, I just wanted to publicly state that. Anyone else? Councilmember Briggs. I also agree. I think that we need to be careful um, about setting precedents, and I guess I would much rather spend three hundred fifty thousand at a time versus ten to twelve million. Um, I just think, you know, I'd like to see us, and I know you said you're working on this, but I hope that we continue to work on and really look at the city as a whole and figure out where these trouble spots are going to be and figuring out other ways to do it. And I hope that we're consistent in the way that we do it too. And I'm also glad to see that the developer has increased um, their contribution as well. Anyone else? Clerk, please call the roll. Councilmember Foreman? Yes. Gladney? Yes. Kyles? Yes. Fetty? Yes. Stock? Yes. Beck? Yes. Bricks? Yes. Mayor Finan? Yes. Council passes 8 to 0. We are now at the point in our meeting for audience participation on any issue. If you wish to address the council, please step forward, state your name and city of residence. Please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Seeing none, any council comments? Councilmember Kyle? I did want to highlight the work that's being done in the CDAP area and diversity. Um, there are a lot of things, good things going alone in the pike. Obviously, there are a lot of opportunities, but I'm thankful for the challenges that obviously the council's taking on, the challenges that the staff is taking on, and that this is more of a, and even the contractors themselves, this is more of a, a citywide approach. We're not where we want to be, but there's a lot of great work and definitely want to highlight a lot of the great things that um, uh, Rachel Joy is bringing to the table. Um, a lot of cities would rather uh, talk, in city councils in particular, would rather talk about this in spirit. They would not um, invest the hard work and the dollars that it takes as it pertains to having a, a staff people that actually oversee projects and diving into the deeper details. I don't think that it, this program would succeed without that. And many programs that we look at across the state have not succeeded because they have not taken a real strategic approach to um, diversity, calling out even, you know, um, I, mean, I always say African-American, but contractors as a whole. And so um, I was going through some of the bid uh, proposals that are out because it's pretty much that time of the year when, you know, a lot of our contracting work and professional services are going to be bid and being able to highlight and send a message out to our potential contractors that, you know, uh, diversity goals are not just um, something that we have in, in spirit, but something that we're actually serious and committed to is a big deal. I know personally I'm going to be looking at those, not just the workforce participation, 
um, but also the the subcontractors that are hired and those that are uh, ready, willing, and able. I look forward to hearing those success stories as we go through 2020. So thank you for the great work. Anyone else? Councilmember Foreman. So something came up this week that I've talked to city staff about a little, but I wanted to put it out there into the community. Um, so an, a person who wants to open a cannabis dispensary contacted me to ask me how would they go about talking to people and finding and locating people who were directly impacted by the marijuana laws. So people who were, um, you know, maybe jailed for small amounts, not, we're not talking manufacturing delivery, but um, more of the smaller part of the social aspects of the, of the marijuana laws. And as I started talking to people in the community, I realized there is no real way for anybody to do that. If people don't self-identify, if there's not tracking information, how do we put those people who are socially impacted by the marijuana laws together with the people who are going to be opening the dispensaries. How do they do that? Now, you say, oh, you should just go to Indeed and find employees. Yes, but this employer or these employers are specifically wanting to target a specific population. And so I'm just throwing it out there into the universe because I know hundreds of people watch these meetings. Does anybody know how we would do that or how would someone go about, you know, connecting with that population? And um, city staff is, you know, working on it. And I've talked to Tracy Parsons in our community relations department, but I just wanted to throw that out there since Will was talking about CDAP and I've, um, and I talked to him about this earlier and he thought, man, it could kind of be like CDAP, not necessarily a city man program, but, you know, we hear so much about how those new laws are supposed to help the people that were impacted, but there's no real way to kind of decide or determine if the people are actually being helped. So, um, I just wanted to throw that out there. So if anybody has any information or anything, if you could please send it to Matt Rushley, um, the deputy city manager, that would be awesome. Thank you. Anyone else? All right, you're on. Madam Mayor, I move that we approve the vendor payments in the amount of $1,685,723.97. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. I move that we approve the payroll of February 7th, 2020 in the amount of $1,884,456.51. Second. Any discussion? All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. Before we adjourn, I didn't give Deputy City Manager an opportunity. Do you have any comments? No, Your Honor. Thank you. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. We are adjourned.